Part three of A Christmas Miscellany twenty twenty by Various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part three Christmas in a Happy Ship in Stories of the Ships nineteen nineteen by Lewis R. Freeman. There was a hint of Christmas in the long stacks of parcels mail on the station platform, and the motley array of packages in the hands of the waiting sailors, but for the rest there was nothing to differentiate the fleetward-bound train from the same train as one might have seen it on any other day of the year. There is only a certain small irreducible minimum of men which can be spared from a fighting ship, which at any time is liable to be sent into action and the season sacred to the prince of peace is no exception to the average landlubber nothing could appear nearer to the height of misfortune than the lot of the sailor who has to leave a nice warm comfortable hearthside in the south of england and return to his unceasing vigil in the storm-tossed northern seas at the one time of year set apart above all others for the family and the home and i did my best to introduce a note of sympathy into my voice when i tried to condole with the ruddy-faced man-o'warsman who had kindly volunteered to help me find my compartment ah to be going back aboard on christmas day you think sir he asked with a grin perhaps it is just a bit odd to leave the missus just now but there ain't no queers in scarpa flow and i've got a jolly good lot of mates waiting for me in the old blank she's the happy ship if there ever was one and christmas at sea ain't arf so bad as you might think sir that there were several hundred similar-minded philosophers travelling by that train became evident at a point where they met and mingled for a space with some of the lucky ones who were gathering there to go home on a leave which had providentially coincided with the holiday season scan as closely as i would the men in the long blue lines there was nothing to distinguish the returning from to the going on save the fact that the former were bulging with christmas parcels nor was there about any of the officers i met in the course of my northward journey any suggestion of an air of martyrdom on account of the fact that it was their lot to spend christmas afloat instead of ashore one of them was going to join a destroyer flotilla leader and was too busy congratulating himself on the fact that he was to be second to a commander who had the reputation of having a nose for trouble and the faculty of always being among those present when anything of interest occurred in the north sea to have time to lament the fact that he was missing this time by only a couple of days his eighth consecutive christmas with his family another had equally high hopes of the life of adventure which awaited him in the light cruiser he had been appointed to and a third entertained me for an hour with yarns of wardroom pranks on a battleship to which he was returning after a special course in gunnery at a south coast port it was the latter who used the identical expression in describing his ship as had been employed by the sailor i have quoted above she's a happy ship as the old blank he said with an affectionate smile and it's glad i am to be getting back to her again the only man i met on the whole journey who seemed in the least sorry for himself was a king's messenger he was carrying a turkey under one arm and a dispatch-box under the other who complained that his schedule would not take him back to london until christmas afternoon 
in the battleship to which i reported about the only evidence of yuletide observable on my arrival was the huge accumulation of homebound letters which the wardroom officers were engaged in censoring the day before christmas was distinctly routine with just a suggestion of festivity beginning to become manifest towards evening the loungers by the wardroom fire smoked chatted and read the paper for an hour after dinner was over but showed no disposition to melt away to bed as in the usual order of things about ten o'clock a violin banjo and a one-stringed fiddle with a brass horn attached made their appearance and upon these never entirely harmonizing instruments their owners began inconsequentially to strum and scrape as fragments of familiar airs became fairly recognizable the loungers began to lay aside papers and cigars and to join in the choruses in that half furtive manner so characteristic of the briton in his first forerunning essays at close harmony until he is assured of the vocal support of his neighbor there is no sound in the world from the roar of the lion to the roar of the cannon which the average englishman dreads so much as that of his own voice raised in song volume increased with confidence and it was not many minutes before the choruses were booming at full blast for a while it was the more popular numbers from the late london reviews which had the call but these soon gave way to ragtime and that in turn to those old familiar songs which have warmed the hearts and bound closer the ties of comradeship of the good fellows of the anglo-saxon world since ships first began to set sail from the shores of england to people the ends of the earth from clementine and who killed cock robin to swanee river and my old kentucky home there was not a song that i had not heard and even boomed raucously away in the choruses of myself a hundred times in all parts of america every one of them was in the old college song-book not a one of them but which every man of the millions america is training for the great fight could have joined in without faking a word or a note a slight shifting of the gilt braid on the blue sleeves a reshuffling of the papers and magazines on the table and the wardrooms of the blank might have passed for that of any american battleship the interposing of four-poster and pennant-papered walls the placing of the lounging figures in proper mufti and you would have had a room in an american college frat house or club the men the songs the vibrant spirit of good fellowship would have done for either of the settings poignantly suggestive of the things of bygone college days was the change which came over the spirit of the scene when an exuberant young sub-lieutenant began doing stunts by trying to climb around a service chair without touching the deck his inevitable fall upset the tilted chair of a visiting snotty who was playing his mandolin and an instant later the two were rolling in a close embrace suddenly someone shouted scrum and with an impetuous rush the singers ranged themselves into two rival rugger teams each trying to push the other against the wall twitching at the stir of long dormant impulses i restrained myself with an effort from mixing in the joyous melee and maintained my dignity as a newly arrived visitor by backing into a corner and erecting a sofa barricade against the swirling human tide shades of stanford and old encina hall i found myself gasping it's a rough house a real college rough house 
while it lasted that scrum had all the fierce abandon of a freshman sophomore cane rush but even at its very climax when it had upset the electric heater and was threatening to engulf the coal stove there was a differentiation one sensed rather than saw the thread of control restraining it and knew that every pushing laughing player of the game was subconsciously alert for a signal that would send him tense and ready to the performance of those complexly simple duties training for which he had given the best part of his life rugger gave place to chair polo and that highly diverting sport in turn to comparatively formal bouts of wrestling and feats of strength and agility it was while a row of shirt-sleeved figures were at the height of a bat competition which consisted of seeing which one could hang the longest by his toes from a steel beam of the ceiling that the fleet surgeon edged gingerly in behind my barrier and remarked that it was funny to think how that up-ended line of young fighting cocks might be tumbling from their roosts to go to action stations at the next tick of the clock and they fight just like they play he went on fingering a sprained wrist that was proffered for diagnosis we've not a single case of any kind in the hospital to-day and the men are just as healthy in mind as they are in body it's half the battle let me tell you to live in a happy ship christmas morning broke cold and clear with a roistering wind from the north furrowing the flow with translucent ridges of white-capped jade and chrysoprase all but the imperative routine duties of the ship were suspended and the men spent many hours decorating the mess deck for their midday feast when all was ready the band its various members masquerading as everything from red cross nurses and ballet girls to german naval prisoners and american cowboys came to lead the captain and wardroom officers on their ceremonial christmas visiting round from mess to mess we marched the capering band leading the way and a policeman with a sausage club shepherding the stragglers at the rear every table was loaded not only with its christmas dinner but also with all the gifts received by those who sat there as well as with any trinkets or souvenirs they had picked up in the course of their foreign cruises especially and intentionally conspicuous were numerous home photographs stuck up in or propped against the cakes and boxes of sweets most of the tables had merry christmas and various other seasonal mottoes printed with letters ingeniously built from cigarettes a running fire of greeting met us at every turn and at each table cigarettes sweets or chunks of succulent plum pudding were pressed upon us acceptance for the most part was on the ancient touch and remit system i noticed that the officers spoke to most of the men directly under them by name and that the exchange of greetings was invariably of unfeigned cordiality on both sides the tour completed the band escorted us aft where with a hearty three cheers and a tiger for the captain and commander severally and the wardroom officers jointly it left us and rollicked back to serenade the feasters forward christmas chapel was a simple church of england service without a sermon followed by holy communion for those who desired to celebrate it luncheon in order that the wardroom servants could be free for feasting with their mates was on the buffet plan each officer serving himself from a side table 
two or three of the men with whom i had spoken in the course of the morning round had used that now familiar expression about the good fortune of being in a happy ship but the climax was capped that evening at dinner at which the wardroom entertained the warrant officers when the captain employed it in explaining the easy bon camaraderie characterizing that interesting occasion i had told him how many times i had heard the words in question since my arrival and asked him point-blank if i was to assume by implication that the other ships of the fleet were only dismal prisons of steel in comparison perhaps the men would try to make you believe something to that effect he laughed but so also would those of the blank and the blank and the blank regarding each other the rest of the squadron and the whole of the grand fleet as a matter of fact if you had been on any one of them during the last twenty-four hours you would probably have seen and heard and experienced just about what you have seen and heard and experienced here you will not go far wrong if you say we are all happy ships up here the happy ship is a tradition of the british navy and it's the one type of craft which does not become out of date with the march of science and the passage of the years End of part three.